Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, my friends? So glad that you're tuning into another episode here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. I'm just so excited as we continue our chronological study of the life and teaching of Jesus Christ. If, in fact, you missed the last podcast, you can check it on Google Play, iTunes. You can go to standstrongministries.org. Last week was podcast 68. This episode is podcast 69, where we continue our study in John chapter 8, 12 through 59. Now, just to bring you up to speed before I dive right in and start reading the passage, remember, this is the Feast of Tabernacles, the period of time. It had just ended And what Jesus did was he remained there to teach the people. And so he was outside the temple. And as a rabbi, he was teaching groups of people as other rabbis were doing outside the temple during this time. People were packing up their booths and they were heading home. Remember, they tried to arrest Jesus. And so last week we talked about in John 7, 53 through uh, John chapter 8, verse 11, that the Pharisees and the scribes, they try to, this this ploy, they, they try to entrap Jesus by bringing a woman who's caught in adultery. And so we discussed how Jesus confronted them with their particular sin and said he used without sin, you know, cast the first stone. So their attempts failed. And so now Jesus calls out their sin in darkness. So what happens oftentimes though, even though that's a, it's kind of a, a debated passage with a woman caught in adultery, but I explain kind of my take contextually why I don't believe that's not the case, even though it's not discovered uh, in earlier manuscripts. But when you look at the case that we're going to be looking at today now, verses 12 through 59, Jesus continues on a discussion, a debate, if you will, with the religious leaders. We oftentimes, when we end verse 11, they, they drop the stone, or excuse me, I think it's like verse 9 or so, they drop stones, they move on, and then Jesus looks at the woman and says, you know, where are your accusers? And she says, I have none. And he says, neither do I accuse you, go sin no more. But we forget this passage that we're going to talk about today. And it's huge. It's, in, it's got so much in it. And primarily before I read it, I want to draw your attention to really the main thing here is the divinity of Jesus, how he articulates that to the audience of these religious leaders. And he exposes their great ignorance within the Jewish leadership. So as I start reading this passage, just take note of those things as I mentioned. So let's jump right into John 8. We'll read verses 12 all the way to 59. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true for I know where I come from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testament of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. 
Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself since he says, Where I'm going, you cannot come? And he said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And he was saying these things, and many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual morality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it, and he was glad. So the Jews said to him, 
you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself, and he went out of the temple. Now, you can see there's a lot here in this particular passage. So on this episode, I'll try to do my best to kind of cover as much as I possibly can. But as always, go to standstrongministries.org. This is podcast 69, and you can find my study notes here in John 8, 12, 259. So let's tackle uh, as much as we possibly can. Here in verse 12 now, notice how Jesus starts off. We just finished off again with the, with the woman who's caught in adultery. He says, go sin no more. And he turns to this audience of people and says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay, so remember in context, during the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jews, they would light up the outer courts of the temple. And remember, where was Jesus at? He was on the outer courts of the temple. And the the Feast of Tabernacles had just ended. And we saw the great significance of that in previous podcasts. And so this was a way though, when they would light up the outer courts of the temple, it was a way to remember the pillar of fire that led the Hebrews through the wilderness. So Jesus was using this occurrence to point to him being the everlasting light. This was an affirmation of deity. Isn't that amazing? Now this phrase, light of life, one commentary writes, in him was life, that's in Jesus, and the life was the light of men. We see that back in John 1 verse 4. Their word was among men as light before the incarnation. And John 1 verse 9 and John chapter 9 verse 5. And light came from the incarnation. Go back to John 3, 19 through 21 here in John 8, 12. And we'll see later in John 12, 46. The commentary continues to write, Christ is light through the illuminating energy of the spirit. That is throughout the gospel of John. John 14, 21, John 14, 26, John 16, verse 13. And also in the epistle of John and 1 John 2, verse 20, and 1 John 2, verse 27, which is received through love. So the object of Christ's work is to make men sons of light and to endow them with the light of life. Isn't that amazing? I love that. So when Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world, what does he want to do with that light? He wants to illuminate us. He wants to endow us, endow us with this light of life. Another commentary writes, Jesus had called his followers the light of the world in Matthew 5, verse 14. But that was light reflected from him. Already Jesus, the Logos, had been called the true light of men. The psalmist calls God his light. So Isaiah 60, verse 19 also mentions that. At the Feast of Tabernacles in the court of the women, where Jesus was on this day, there were brilliant candle bras, and they were put there in memory of the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night. But with all this background, this supreme and exclusive claim of Jesus to being the light of the whole world of Gentiles as well as Jews startled the Pharisees and challenged their opposition. So again, when Jesus makes that statement, it's a divine one and they understand what he's saying. So the Pharisees respond and say, are you bearing witness about yourself when your testimony is not even true? So the Pharisees, they challenge Jesus' claim because they're blinded by their darkness. Remember Jesus told Nicodemus, he says, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light 
Lisa's works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. John 3, 19 through 21. So right there, Jesus told even one of the contemporaries of the Pharisees, one of their own colleagues early on, that people are not receiving the light. So clearly here, they're not receiving the light. And in verse 14, Jesus says, if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. Why? Because he comes from heaven. So Jesus is no ordinary person. You and I know, as we're reflecting back in this particular passage, that he certainly is God. Well, that's what he was stressing. That's what he's trying to show them, that he came down from heaven, he took on flesh, and he would return to heaven. Now, here's a way that I put it when you look at this. Jesus here, he's seen things in light of eternity while the Pharisees are blinded by their stupidity. See, so that's, that's going to run contrary. So this entire time that you and I are looking at this passage, Jesus in light of eternity, Pharisees in their stupidity, and, and they get nothing accomplished, the Pharisees that is. Jesus conveys the stuff, he exposes the truth to them, and they continue time and time again, they continue to reject it. Now, verses 15 through 16, where it says, you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. See, the Pharisees, they responded to Jesus' claim as acting judges over him every single time. No matter what Jesus did, they'd always critique him. And on top of that, just like this passage on today's episode here in John 8, they're saying we are, our father's Abraham, right? Our father's Moses. We obey these men. We follow their laws. You know, we're perfect. We pray several times a day. We give to the poor and all that kind of stuff. And they're always showing that they're better than Jesus. However, Jesus points out that it is his father who approves of him, not them. Jesus wasn't seeking for their approval. Jesus came into the world to save them actually from their sins, even though they're so blinded because they're dead in their sins, they don't even get it. And, and not to mention when Jesus says, I judge no one, we sing is in this first advent, I came to offer as a sacrifice. I, I have to remain silent because I'm taking on the sins of the world, but I'm gonna redeem the world, not judge it. The day will come when he redeems the world, he will restore the world. So when he doesn't come to judge this, this first time going, you know, coming to the world. But when he comes again, he will judge the world. He will restore the world. Now he says, in your law, it just literally means it's a monopoly of a possession that is written that the testament of two people is true. So the Jewish law required two witnesses. Remember we saw that with the woman caught in adultery. There were, there were not multiple witnesses to testify to the facts. This is in Deuteronomy 17, verse six and Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. However, Jesus gives a father as his second witness to verify that he is in fact the Messiah. Go back to John 5, verse 37. Remember it says, and the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you've never seen. So Jesus has been telling them this past year plus, you reject me, told Nicodemus because of the darkness. Of course, we know later on Nicodemus comes to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. But he says, you continue to reject me because of your blindness. You think you know God, but you don't. And the more you reject me is the more you're rejecting God, who is the father. So they respond in verse 19 saying, where is your father? Now, this would not seem to be a challenging question, if you will, but because it's coming from the Pharisees, it is. You see, they couldn't verify Jesus' witness. They, don't, they didn't believe that God is father. Therefore, his testimony wasn't true. So this was a direct attack against his virgin birth. They never accepted that. So it was a humiliating question, in essence, of them asking, where's your father? 
uh, to Jesus in the East, to ask a man in the East in the first century, where is your father, is, is an insult because they're rejecting his genealogy. So Jesus answered, he says, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And so now the commentary John inserts here at the end of verse 19 and verse 20, these words he spoke in the treasury, which literally is the public part of the temple as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So Jesus didn't allow these personal attacks regarding his paternity to weigh him down. So he didn't, remember, he didn't get deterred. He didn't get distracted. They're giving these ad hominems or attacking his character, but rather he turns the situation on them by pointing out that they don't even know God the way they think they do. I think that's an interesting tactic. And it's it's oftentimes one that I try to watch and observe if I'm watching like a debate, uh, somebody out on the streets on YouTube or something like that, or when I've been in public places where there's been an open debate. And I always make sure myself is I don't, I'm not focused on myself I'm focused on the relationship with God or lack thereof. And Jesus did that here with the Pharisees. And remember, they're the ones that are boasting, saying that they know the Father when in fact it's not true. So then in verse 21, it says, so he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sins. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So Jesus is focusing back on their sin and how they will not be able to go to heaven because of their unbelief. Now, pause, let me just say this based on what I just mentioned in verse 20 about evangelism. As Jesus was focusing on God to the Pharisees, remember, they were religious. They believed in God. They followed the law. So here in verse 21, when Jesus is going back to their sin, that was respectable because they believed in sin. So sometimes when we attack people or we're addressing sin in a way when they're not religious, they don't understand it. We just got to be slightly careful there so we don't come off as condescending or very harsh or judgmental because they're going to get defensive and they're going to shut down. So let's just be careful here. So Jesus is is able to relate to them in that context because they're attacking him saying he's a sinner and he's exposing their sin because of their lack of, of their knowledge and love of God. So when he's focusing back on their sin and how they're not able to go to heaven because of their what? Ultimately because of their unbelief. And so if the Pharisees and scribes, they don't follow him here on earth, how on earth will they be able to follow him to heaven even though they believed that they were going to heaven? And so here in verse 22, when, when, when Jesus was saying in verse 21, I'm going away. So here in verse 22, they say, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come. See, of course, the Jews, the Pharisees in this context, the religious leaders, they believe because they were followers of God. Abraham was, a, they're the offspring of Abraham. Moses was their father. They're going to heaven. And so when Jesus was talking about where I'm going, meaning when I'm leaving this earth, you cannot come with me. They're, they assumed he's talking about suicide because remember they, but little they trash Jesus. And according to Jewish teaching, if a person committed suicide, they would go to hell. So this was another cutting insult to make Jesus look like a deranged person. So we got to understand that, my friends, in the Jewish context, oftentimes when we read it, we just see it like as a debate. But prior to this, remember the Jews, they thought that he meant he would go to the non-Jews. And so in, in another context in John 7, verse 35, they thought he, when he says, well, I'm leaving, that that here geographically he's leaving to go to a different location. He was going to go to the non-Jews. And they thought, of course, well, because you're not good enough to be one of us because they were always challenging, always questioning him. But in this context here, they they took it as though he was going to kill himself. So here in verse 23 through 24, where Jesus says, you are not from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. So here, this see the contrast that Jesus is giving. He says, I, he comes from above, I'm not of this world. 
you are from below, you're of this world. What's interesting, again, in context here in the Greek, the I am he that he mentions here is the Greek is the enigmatic I am. So this enigmatic phrase here comes from Isaiah 43.10, that there is only one Lord. There's no God like him. I am God. That's what Jesus is saying. So remember from the very beginning here in verse 12, I am the light of the world. He's showing, their, he's showing them his divinity. So they say in response to verse 25, who are you? So this would normally, again, be taken as a sincere question. But once again, coming from the Pharisees, it wasn't. So they continue to have contempt for Jesus. So if you go back, look in verse 19. Where's your father? Verse 22, will he kill himself? Here in verse 25, who are you? They kept challenging Jesus. And so he responds in verse 25 and 26. And he says, just what I have been telling you. From the beginning. So in essence here in the Greek is Jesus says, you and I have been over this again and again and again. Now, if you're a parent, you're listening to this or you're in a marriage and there's been multiple times when you've had to, once again, this is what I told you and you can kind of get frustrated. Jesus says, you and I have been having these deep discussions about this and yet you still do not believe me. So he says, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world that I've heard from him. So if Jesus wanted to, you and I know he could have exposed their sins and he could have revealed himself in all of his glory. Yet he prevails by speaking the truth that he has been sent by the father and they rejected Jesus. Therefore they rejected the father, which of course they did because they never saw God. They don't believe God to be the father because this was an unknown relationship to the average Jew. So when Jesus was saying God the Father, my Father from above, they are not associating that to be Yahweh, okay? So here now in verses 20 through 30, when Jesus says, you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know. He says, so when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, again, there it is, I am, the enigmatic phrase here of, of God, of divinity. Jesus, when he's referring to now this phrase here, lifted up, of course, he's talking about the cross and it's, it's reflective back in Isaiah 52 verse 13 where it says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and he shall be exalted. This is the glorification that comes as a result of his sacrifice. The glorification is what? Is the resurrection. And notice this phrase here also. He says, always, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So when Jesus is talking about obedience to the point of death, but I'll be resurrected, he says, I always do the things that please him. His whole mission coming into the world was to perfectly serve and obey the Father. And his enemies, you and I know this from time and time again, they could not even find anything, not one thing he said or even his actions. Now, of course, they picked up stones to stone him because he claimed to be God. They said that he had a demon. They said he associates and hangs out with sinners, which, of course, and we'll see later in the Gospels, what that actually really means is that he's sleeping with people that he's drinking with them and he's parting with them. He's one like them. We're going to see here in this passage, we've already read before and look at a little bit, that he's of a Samaritan, that his parents had sex before marriage. So he comes, he, he was born into sin. So they just always attacking Jesus. But when you look back in John 3, 14 and 15, this phrase lifted up, Jesus mentioned, remember he says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. John 12, 32, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. 
So he touches on the coming resurrection that will take place to the Pharisees. They still don't get it. So he says to the Jews who believed, so then he turns his focus to the, the crowd again that was around that he was teaching them. We don't know the size and the scope, but he says to them, if you abide, meaning if you remain, if you stay true to my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know, literally you will have knowledge, you will have experience of the truth and it will release you, it will set you free. I love this because Jesus is having this open debate with the Pharisees. He focuses in on those who do believe in him. He shows attention to the Jews that believed in him, and he calls them to be set free from the darkness of these religious leaders around him. Now, in the midst of all of this, they respond to Jesus. They interrupt him as he's focusing on the Jews, and they say, we are the offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. Who do we need to be free from? See, notice the denial of these religious leaders. The fact that they would even say this when we know, historically speaking, the Jews have been enslaved by the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Persians. And as they're saying this to Jesus, they're enslaved to the Romans. So Jesus responds to them here in verses 34 and 36. It, it, to, he says, everyone who practices sin is a slave, meaning he's a subservient to the control of that sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. He says, so if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. So he takes now this approach that they use by bringing up the offspring of Abraham, talking about how they're not being enslaved to now expose their sin once again. And remember, the Jewish leaders, they use this argument oftentimes a lot, and particularly with Jesus, because they felt that Abraham gave them a covering. And this is talked about from Paul in Romans chapter 3 to, to chapter 5, and also Galatians chapter 3. So read that in your own time. Yet Jesus calls out their habitual sin and false belief that lineage can save them. He's saying, you know, you cannot be saved because of your lineage. Now you're denying my genealogy and I come from the bloodline of King David and I will have that kingdom forever and ever, 2 Samuel 7. But you're now, what you're just focusing on is you go back to your genealogy with Abraham and look at that lineage. So Jesus boldly proclaims that only he can set them free, not Abraham. Nowhere in Abraham's teachings does he mention that. And so RVG Tasker, he writes this, so the slave of sin cannot by himself change his status. He cannot convert himself, nor can he be converted by any fellow sinner. The liberator from our bondage must come from outside the ranks of enslaved humanity. So you and I know that only Jesus, who is the true son to the father, he is the seed of Abraham. And Galatians 3, verse 16, as I mentioned earlier, says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, into your offspring, who is Christ. And so then we see in verses 37 and 38 that Jesus isn't denying their offspring, but he's saying that even though Abraham was certainly your father genetically, he's not spiritually. I'm obeying our heavenly father you're rejecting him. And then verses 39 through 41, uh, once again, the Jews, they're defending themselves on account by saying, no, Abraham is our father. So again, they're holding fast to the Abrahamic lineage, but Jesus disputes their conduct. He disputes their beliefs and their practices, saying that they're not consistent to the life of Abraham. Now, this was something that John the Baptist even warned in Luke 3 verse 8. Now, when you look at this phrase, we were not born of sexual morality, this was something that the Jews were saying to Jesus, which also is an indication that they had looked into his past, not, I don't think, to to take on, you know, at face value, okay, let's just say that Jesus is the Messiah, let's look into it. No, I think it was a way of them trying to figure out 
what dirt can we pull from this guy in his childhood? And so they're attacking him. And Jesus says here in verses 42 through 43, if, if God were your father, you would love me. So by rejecting Jesus, again, they continue to reject God, the father, and they are uh, falsely portraying this relationship with God to the, to the people. And so Jesus was pointing out how truly lost the Jews were and their relationship with God. And all they can really account for was their ancestors, in this case, Abraham and Moses. Now, when Jesus says that your father is of the devil, this is a dagger. This is something to really truly remember. They were saying you have a demon and he goes a step further and exposes the demonization of the Pharisees. And this is important because I oftentimes refer people time and time again that right here, this is the epitome. This is the description, not just of Satan that we can see ontologically uh, of who he is, but also that the association uh, that the religious leaders have with Satan directly. So it's interesting because they're getting their lead, if you will, their guidance from Satan. And notice that Satan is wanting people to say that Jesus, to believe, that is, that Jesus has a demon. That's all coming from Satan. And Jesus says here that he is a murderer from the beginning. And he doesn't stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father lies from the beginning. So Jesus not only calls out their lack of relationship with God, but points to their spiritual parentage, which is the devil. The religious leaders, their beliefs, their actions, their denials, all of this reflected the devil than that of Jesus. Now, I want to say this before I kind of wrap up this podcast. John 8, 44 gives great insight into the nature of Satan. Notice, number one, that he has a legion of followers. Two, his desires are morally evil. Three, he is a murderer. Four, there is no truth in him. And five... He is a liar and deceiver at his core. And then real quickly, when you look at verse 48, they then insult Jesus again by saying, you are a Samaritan and you have a demon. So they're despising his heritage. They're making falsehoods about this whole thing. And Jesus says, I don't have a demon. Uh, my glory comes from the Father. He's giving another remarkable claim that points to his divinity here in verse 51 when he says, if anyone keeps more, he will never see death because he's talking about him being the Savior. And he's giving them another chance. And then this last phrase here, when they said, you are not yet 50 years old in verse 57. So the Jews, they denied, of course, that Jesus was God. Therefore, they thought he was mad for believing he existed before Abraham. But when you look at this phrase in 58, where Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Remember in John 8, Jesus made the statement, I am in John 8, 24, John 8, 28, and here in John 8, 58. So this was a very clear proclamation to the audience that Jesus was saying, I am God. Because remember, the I am was a divine claim belonging to Yahweh and Yahweh alone. You see this in Exodus 3, 13 and 14, as I mentioned earlier, Isaiah 43, verse 10. And that's why the Jews picked up stones to kill Jesus because he claimed to be God. And that was a no-no according to Leviticus 24, 16. So as we conclude on today's podcast, what are some of the takeaways? Well, one is Jesus is God. This is a beautiful passage to point to people in the Jewish sense of how he communicated to his people. But not only that, but also first reflect of the stubbornness, the ignorance, the spiritual blindness that really uh, is prevalent among many people in our lives. And you and I have to be sensitive to those people, my friends, just like Jesus was. 
So I pray this episode has been a blessing to you. Thank you for tuning in here as we went through John chapter 8. And as always, you can check out more information on StandStrongMinistries.org. And until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at StandStrongMinistries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.